God. Take your Bibles and turn with me while you're still standing to the 15th chapter of the Gospel of John. <coughs> John 15. Praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. John 15, verse 15. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, and that, pardon me, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Praise God. Let's pray. Our God of heaven, we love you and we worship you and we trust and pray that the glory of the Holy Ghost would come and rest in this assembly today. I trust and pray, Lord, that every heart and every mind would be open to your word. Jesus, we need your word. For the Bible tells us that we should search the scriptures for, and then we think we have eternal life, for they are they which testify of you. And Jesus, we want to know more and more about you and more and more about the way that leads to eternal life. And so, God, we're praying your blessings upon the preaching of the Word of God today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And God bless you. you may be seated. And once again, I say, I'm glad that I'm here. And you folks look mighty, mighty fine this morning. Praise God. We had a great trip down to the West Indies, Sister Grant and I. It was a business trip all the way. We had very little time for, for pleasure. We were preaching a conference, and then I preached a weekend in St. Martin's, the Isle of St. Martin's. We did have a good time, but uh, my throat, if, if it goes out on me, you just pray that it won't, though. Uh, <clears throat> we left from down, we left San Juan Friday, and it was extremely hot, and we'd just taken a long ride on a city bus, brother and sister Shirley, sister Grant, and myself, and it was so hot. The windows would not open on the city bus, and it was not air-conditioned. And there must have been 300 people in that bus. Now you say, that sounds like an exaggeration. You cannot believe the number of people that were in the bus. And I was back near the back, and where my arms were on my trousers, when I was sitting down, when I got up, my trousers were just wringing wet. It was so hot. We got on the plane then and flew to Chicago, and it was 28 degrees. <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> I I have this thing about coats. I I don't know why, but I just don't wear a coat until I have to, and then I pull it off as soon as I can. And I didn't take a coat with me, so when I got to Chicago and my car was parked out in a security lot, I had to go out there with my coat off and not having one naturally. <laughs> I can kind of feel it inside. <clears throat> but we had a good trip. We will be uh, taking one service and showing you the slides and such of our, of our trip. I think it will be very interesting to you. Uh, we took a good number of slides, but it will take some time for us to get them back. And we'll wait till after Thanksgiving. And we'll take a Thursday evening and go through the, the trip with you. I think it'll prove to be a real blessing to you. I can say one thing, though. I'm glad I live in the States. And I found out every place we went, people there wished they lived in the States. In fact, we were amazed to find that several people, even people in the church, would have given us their children, their little babies to bring back. Can you believe that? I, my heart was really touched. And their answer to it is, we would gladly separate ourselves from our children if they could grow up in the state so that they could, so that they could learn and they could make something of themselves. 
I, I don't know that I could do that. But uh, <clears throat> we would just feel so honored to have one of our children grow up in the United States of America. Praise God. And I'll tell you one thing. When you get back here, uh, <clears throat> you realize just how blessed we are. We're really blessed. We're really blessed. For those islands are islands of great contrast. There are several homes that we saw that were above a million dollars. And maybe next door to it would be houses that are no bigger than eight by six by eight. And uh, the total worth of the house to us would be just nothing. You wouldn't even want to burn it for firewood. It doesn't even look like it made good firewood. I mean, it's really bad, really bad. Goats and chickens and hogs and everything. The church in St. Martin's, they had just painted, and they were wondering how they were going to keep it clean because the hogs came and rubbed it up against it and turned it brown. <laughs> I'm serious with you. <clears throat> but, but uh, well, you're talking about worshiping the Lord and having a great move with the Lord. We did, and I just really thank God for that. Praise God. I want to talk to you this morning from... Verse 16, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And I want to talk about chosen by God. I don't know why this has been on my mind so much lately, but I guess I begin to take a little bit different view of this scripture than what I had uh, taken in the past. And the reason why is because I suppose in the past, my idea about the scripture was that I had absolutely nothing to do with my coming to the Lord. Uh, I'm not really for sure that my concept was as right as what I had uh, thought in the past. Uh, You read some parables in the scripture like the prodigal son. The prodigal son was, was one who was backslidden. That's in Luke 15. Who demanded of his father what rightly belonged to him. And he went out into a far country and he wasted his goods. It was a prodigal son who made up his mind when he came to himself to come back to the master, to his father. And he did it on his own. He came back. Of course, his, his cry was, make me as one of thy hired servants. But he initiated the return. Now, while I do not believe the scripture uh, teaches any contradiction, it would be easy for us to, in our own mind, to to feel that maybe there is a a contradiction in that. In other words, he came back. He he initiated the return. Jesus said, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Now, throughout the scripture we find passages of scripture that deal with uh, with this in the same context in which this passage in, in John 15 deals with it. Turn with me to Matthew 20 and we will take a look at the scripture there. Matthew the 20th chapter verse 16 Jesus said so the last shall be first and the first last for many are called but few chosen. Many are called but few chosen. And then Matthew 22, verse 14, uh, he said, For many are called, but few are chosen. Now, <coughs> if we just pan, uh, back up, rather, back up to uh, verse 11, the Bible says, And when the king came in to see the guest, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither, not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Now, this is dealing with the, the parable that Jesus gave concerning the wedding feast or the marriage feast. Now, to put on the wedding garment that he's speaking of here, that is symbolical of a person Robing, robing himself in the righteousness of God. When we receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, we are made holy inside of our heart. 
And I might just like to stop momentarily from the subject that we're dealing with and just talk to you. I really believe that Bible salvation is first repentance. A man has to first repent. You've got to get your heart right and ready for the Lord to come in. Repentance is where a person turns away from his sin. He asks God to forgive him. And uh, he nails, so to speak, himself to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, he is crucified with the Lord. After a person has repented, he is then baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Now, the question sometimes comes up, I thought when we repented that God removed sin. No, when we repent, the sin is killed or crucified. The old body of sin is killed or crucified with the Lord. Baptism is for the removal of that sin or that old Adamic nature. After we have been baptized and the old man of sin has been planted or removed, then we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. When we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, that's the Spirit of the Lord coming and dwelling inside of you. That's the reason why that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. After they were pricked in their hearts and they felt extreme conviction, when they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter standing up with the eleven said, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, when we are born again, when that happens to us, we have robed ourselves in righteousness. Here's a man that comes into the wedding feast without proper preparation. In other words, he, have, he has not robed himself in righteousness in other words, he's trying to make it in the kingdom of God without going the proper way. Jesus said it's impossible. For Jesus said, I am the door of the sheepfold. If a man cometh up, uh, or, uh, I am the door of the sheepfold. He said the sheep cometh in and out and they find pasture. He goes on to speak of him being the way to heaven. If a man approaches that any other way, he's the same as a thief and a robber. So this man was cast out. He was speechless. He had nothing to say. The Bible says, uh, verse 13, Then said the king to the servant, Bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. And there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now the outer darkness that the man was cast into, according to the book of Revelation, it is the lake of fire. We want to make sure that we are all prepared to meet the Lord when we leave this life. For it does not make any difference, friend, what you have done in this world as far as, as your goodness is concerned. If that goodness is not predicated upon the righteousness of God, if you have never been born again, all of your righteousness is as filthy rags in the sight of God. The book of Isaiah tells us that. The prophet of old penned it once and for all. And the word of the Lord is forever settled in heaven. Regardless of what you do your righteousness does not count. It must be the righteousness of the Lord that overshines or out to, uh, uh, or that obscures your own righteousness so that, that, that the righteousness of God prevails. And then, of course, verse 14, For many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. Acts the ninth chapter, verse 15 the Bible says that the Apostle Paul was called, or chosen rather, to be, or he was called to be a chosen vessel among the Gentiles. Not necessary that you turn there. We just wanted to point out a few scriptures that deal with this subject that uh, we are addressing you on. Now, if you'll turn to John the 6th chapter, <clears throat> we want to read a, a portion of scripture that... that uh, may seem to be a little in contradiction to the Luke 15 parable of the prodigal son that I called your attention to earlier. Jesus answered, verse 43, and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. Now, the Father that sent him was the Spirit. 
See, Jesus was God with us. He was Emmanuel. But it was the Holy Ghost or the Spirit of God that overshadowed Mary. And she brought forth a son. His name then was called Jesus. Now the Spirit that Jesus spoke of was the Spirit that motivated him. It was a true identity of Jesus. Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but of my Father. For my spirit, or my words are spirit, and they are life. Now, Jesus was saying that, that there is no way that you can come to me except there first be that drawing of the spirit. You see, there is no way that a man on his own can be spiritual. Uh, he, he is just not spiritual by nature. And so as a result, uh, when Jesus was here, Jesus spoke in parables. Contrary to what we sometimes think, Jesus spoke in parables not to hide the gospel from people. Sometimes we read the passage of Scripture in which Jesus explains his purpose for parables. And we draw the conclusion, oh, Jesus spoke in parables so that people would not understand him. That's not true. He spoke in parables so that they would understand him. In other words, Jesus took a story, a real-to-life story, that had to do with the simple things like sowing seed, cleaning the house, uh, a servant and master relationship. He, he talked about things that, that were so base, and, and he brought to the attention to the, to the hunger hearts a simple story. He put it in the simplest language that he possibly could so that the hunger that was in their heart would be satisfied. Any man that was honest, any man that was sincere would understand. However, in his parables, because he spoke in such simple language, those who were wise in the things of this world and those who knew not God and those whose minds were, were removed away from God and had no intention of living for, for God but only wanted to trick the master. Uh, Jesus used those stories because when they went away, they just wagged their head and they said, now what in the world? We asked him a direct question and he told us a little story. What's he talking about? Tell us, what is he talking about? But the Bible tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In the book of 2 Peter, when uh, Peter begins to explain the flood that came upon the face of the earth. Many years ago in the days of Noah, the Bible says in the last days, that is prior to the flood, that uh, God lingered and he, he was not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but he was long-suffering to the world, not willing that any should perish. And you see, God does not want one soul to be lost. He wants every person to be saved. And so he spoke in parables so that the, the person who was uneducated, the person who was illiterate, the person who was removed a million miles away from any formal or secular education could understand what he was saying. So he put it in, in simple language and simple terms. So any person desiring to be saved could be saved. But now Jesus did make it like this, make it plain to us. He said, now you just can't all of a sudden, regardless of, of your, your, the condition of your soul, regardless of the condition of your mind, you can't just rise up and say, well, I think now I've lived 45, 50 years. I think it's time for me to stop sinning and I think I'll just be saved. He said, it really doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. The hunger that's in a person's heart must be created by God. God will allow people to go through various circumstances and situations. See, that's what happened in Luke 15 to the prodigal son who left. The Lord just told him, okay, I will give you the money that's yours. I will divide the inheritance with you. He went out and spent his money on riotous living. He ended up in the pig pen. I mean, he was in the mire. He was in the pig pen. And he had nothing to eat. And nobody came by and supplied uh, the hunger of his, of his body. Before, what was he doing? Oh, he was just kind of whining and dying, you know. He was, 
He was just asking everybody out, and you go over to this restaurant with me, and you go over here with me, and, and so forth and so on, and, and open up the menu and order whatever you want. And so they were just ordering right and left, and he was eating, and, and, and he was having a good time. After a while, though, the supply diminished. He had totally exhausted all the funds that his father had given him. Then when he didn't have anything left, he, he went out then uh, picking the garbage can, so to speak, and trying to find this and trying to find that. Uh, he just couldn't, couldn't seem to make it, and, and he got him a job with a local farmer. And the farmer then put him down in the, the lower pasture down there where the hogs were. And he, he put him feeding the hogs, well, before payday rolled around, you know, this, this boy was hungry. Where were his friends he was whining and dining with? They weren't any place around. They were gone. Nobody. Nobody now to feed him. He probably looked to the right or left. While nobody was looking, he thought, man, I'm starving to death. I think I'll just have breakfast here with the pigs. And so he began to eat right out of the same trough that the pigs ate out of. Well, you see... God designed that circumstance. And you see, that's what He does in some people's lives when they, when they forget about the Lord. See, He's not willing that any should perish. Did you know that some of the, the hardest times that will ever come your way could, I use the word could, I'm not saying they are, they could, however, be designed by God for you to come to your senses. But you see, you just can't come to your senses on your own. You, you see, God had this boy in mind. God wanted to see this boy saved. So that spirit was drawing already. And I have seen people go through several years of adversity only to reach kind of the bottom of, a, of everything. You know, they have to reach up to touch bottom, so to speak, the old saying goes. Very, very low when the whole world seems to cave in around them. No place to go and everything is bad. Don't you know that God was out there searching for you? Don't you know that God was wanting to save you? Don't you know that God knows the horror of hell? He knows the fierce uh, wrath of Satan when Satan comes by. You see, the thief cometh not but to kill and steal and destroy. But Jesus said, I come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Some of the, the worst conditions that you'd ever go through. Don't you know that some of those could be designed by God for you to come to your senses so that you will understand the, the error of your way? But you see, God is a merciful God and He's out there. He's reaching. But, 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 but nobody right during good times and while everything is just flourishing and your mind's a million miles away from God... You can't just wake up and say, well, you know, I've been living 45, 50 years now. I think I'll go to church and give my heart to God. No, God's always involved. He's always involved. It takes the drawing of the Spirit of the Lord in order for a person to be saved. Now, I'd like for you to go to Luke, the 14th chapter, and, and we'll just uh, consider that for a moment. Luke 14. Jesus gives the parable of the Great Supper. Very similar to what we had read before. <clears throat> Verse 7, He put forth a parable to those which were bidden when He marked how they chose out the chief rooms, saying, un, saying unto them, When thou art bidden of any man to a wedding, sit not down in the highest room, lest a more honorable man than thou be bidden of him. Now he continues this parable, and then he goes into verse 16, which seems to be a different parable. appears that what he's doing is just, he's going to take and turn the circumstance or the situation around, let him sit from a little bit different angle. Then he said unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many. In other words, what the Lord is trying to impress is this, that, uh, well, we'll just put it in our everyday day language. Let's suppose that, 
that all of a sudden Sister Grant and I decide that we want to have a supper in our home. And there are certain people that we want to invite. Now, naturally, we love everybody in the church. It's just that if we had a party at our home, we could not invite all of you. Now, that only stands the reason. And the reason why is because everybody can't get in our house. And so in this case, let's say we invited the elders and their wives. And so Sister Grant has gone out and she's bought the food and she's set the table and she's got the china out and the crystal out and the candles out and, 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 and everything is all fixed and everything's set in order. And I enter into the house and the aroma from the kitchen and the roast beef and everything. Oh, man, it's just, it's filling up. It makes you hungry, doesn't it? How many of you ate breakfast this morning? Okay, I didn't. Sister Kitty is saving me out a, a, a filled, one of those filled donuts downstairs. So if you go downstairs and there's a cup of coffee and a donut down there, don't you dare eat it because that's mine, okay? But uh, uh, I go in the house and everything, I mean, everything is all fixed and the chairs are setting out and so forth. And, and so all of a sudden the elders and their wives start to appear. And then we get a knock on the door. And, and uh, so we, I go to the door and, and, and here's somebody that we didn't invite. And they say, I heard you were having a big supper over here and I'm hungry. And I decided I wanted to come. And there you are. You know, there's a certain feeling about people showing up for events that they are not invited to. Isn't that true? See, that's, that's what happened in the other parable. The man showed up and he wasn't properly prepared. He wasn't properly dressed. You know the reason why he wasn't properly dressed? Because nobody asked him to come to start with and he didn't know what in the world the thing was all about. And I must confess that every now and then somebody will come to me and say, you know, Brother Grant, we had this special thing and we invited a few people. We can't get everybody in our house. And would you believe that, that this brother and that brother and that brother showed up? And we didn't know what to do. We didn't have enough food. You know, the, the place. Are you trying to say, Brother Grant, that, that, that God does not have enough food to supply for, for everybody? No. He's talking about a principle. He said, now the reason why that I do the choosing is because you come as my guest. And it's not ever proper for our guests to walk up and say, I heard you're having a party. Can I come? That's not appropriate. That's what he's saying. That's not the way you work it. You don't do that. You sit back and you wait until you're asked. And then when you ask and you come in, you don't sit at the head of the table. I, I remember one time I hadn't been saved very long and I went in. And, and, and so uh, we were, I was tired and I, I didn't pay any attention. And everybody was just talking. I thought, I'll sit down. So I sat down. And uh, while everybody started sitting around the table, I got to thinking, I said, uh, so I think I got in the wrong place. It looks like I'm at the head of the table. And I remember, I remember the gentleman in the house, he looked and says, no, that's the foot down there. <laughs> I think it was the head of the table, but I think it was his way of saying, well, <laughs> that's all right. You just take the low seat. We'll, we'll change everything around here. I felt, I felt about this high. You know, I was tired and weary. And, and so that's what the Lord is saying. You see, it's God's house. You know, and there was a certain way that you approach the Lord. Now, we, we have this business in our world today where everybody wants to be saved the way they want to be saved. You know, and you hear a lot of people say, well, the Lord and I worked it out. And they draw up scriptures like work out your own salvation, which Paul talked to the Philippians about. With fear and trembling. That's not what he's talking about, my friend. He's talking about on a day-to-day -day basis there's certain things that you need to work out with God. But when it comes to Bible salvation, that's already been settled. That's, that's proclaimed in the Bible. And you just, can't, you, know, you just can't go and do what you want to do. Somebody wrote the song, Me and Jesus have our own thing going. 
That's kind of a country western type Christian song. Well, I got news for you. You, you, you and Jesus don't have your own thing going. You, you know, you just can't, you, you can't do like a lot of people did back in the early 70s, late 60s, when people wanted to just go off someplace and communicate with God on their own. Listen, I'm here to tell you, well, well I do believe in a clause of a prayer, and I believe in private communication. There are certain things that are already settled, and you can't just draw your own conclusion as to how you want to do it. I've used this example before. I think it would be fitting today. You see, if you want to approach my house in the middle of the night, there's a certain way that you do it. I suggest first you call. No, don't come out there at 2 a.m. in the morning. But now you could. You, you see, out in my work shed, I keep a ladder. Now, you could drive up 2 a.m. in the morning, take, 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 take and turn all your lights off of your car, when you turn in my driveway so that you won't disturb the household and, and let your car coast in with the engine turned off and tiptoe around back and go through out in the back shed and open the side door. There are two doors there. Open that. And, and then up above, we store a ladder up there. Now, it's not out there right now because Roy's building a home, and that's where it is. But that's normally where we store it. And you go in there, and, and you get that ladder down, and you tiptoe through the blackness of the night, and you lean it up against the, the, the upstairs area on the uh, northeast, northwest corner there, and, and, and above, above the stairwell that goes down the basement, and you go up there and, and peck on the window. You see, I sleep right inside of there. Now, if you want to get me up in a hurry, do that. You know? But, but what would I think if all of a sudden... After having a weary, weary day and, and problems and trials and such, what if all of a sudden I, I saw the, 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 the drapery there begin to move and, 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 and I, 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 I heard the window opening and all of a sudden I saw just the silhouette of a head poking through the window. And somebody said, Brother Grant, I decided I wanted to come to see you this morning. See, that's what Jesus was saying. There's a proper way to approach God. And if you try to climb up any other way, I'm going to consider you to be a thief and a robber. Regardless of how innocent your intent may be, friend, he said, I'm the door of the sheepfold. If you want to come into heaven, you've got to knock on that front door. I suggest if you visit me at that time of the night that, that, that you drive up and keep your lights on and your car running and, and you knock on the In other words, let somebody know. That you're there. You can't do it your own way. There's a certain approach. It's only appropriate that certain things be done a certain way. And regardless of how you feel that you and Jesus have your own thing going. And regardless of how you feel about Bible salvation. Listen, you've got to do it the way that Jesus wanted it done. And see, that, that's what he's talking about in all these parables. He said, hey, you know, how many people will God call? Well, if he's not willing that any should perish, I have a feeling he's going to call many, many, many people. Did not he say many are called, but few are chosen? So he, he's calling many people. In other words, he's inviting a lot of people. And you will find out that, that in this parable, there were people that had excuses. They couldn't go. One man bought uh, oxen. One man bought some land. One man married. People have all kinds of excuses. Don't, don't you think anybody starting their life together as husband and wife ought to see the value of incorporating God in it? But you see, they, they thought, well, things are going good. I don't, I don't know that I need God. I don't know that I need the church. One, one, one man, he bought a yoke of oxen. And oxen, that, uh, they, they were very, very important in those days. They, their livelihood... Uh, came came from from those animals. Now, that would be equivalent to somebody saying, "Well, you know, I got a whole new set of tools. You should just see my tools. I I got two thousand dollars. Got a new toolbox, a cabinet, and and on top I've got a nice uh, uh, chest type toolbox. And look inside all these tools and everything. And I'm getting ready for work on on Monday morning. I don't need to go to church. I, I've just got to do this." Okay. 
Then somebody bought a piece of ground. In other words, we're, we, we just, uh, you know, we, we, got, we got this, oh, God's blessing. What, you know, it's just not going to hurt to miss uh, this special event that, that God's calling us to. And, and, you know, a lot of people use many, many reasons for not serving God or excuses. You know, all kinds of excuses. You'd be surprised. In my tenure as a pastor, during the tenure in which I've been a pastor, I've had so many people give me so many different excuses. Some people not serving God because they don't have transportation. Really, I've had people say that. I don't have transportation. I happen to know that they don't sit at home all the time. They go to the supermarkets. They go to the doctor. You know, I feel if people can go there, they can come to church. One, one lady told me one time, well, I can't come to church. She was, a, she was confined to a wheelchair. But, but you know, and she didn't, she didn't have any relatives that cared, she said, and nobody would bring her. But, but this I got to noticing, you know. We live in a small community, and every place I went, I saw a van. They were putting her down on the ground. They were pushing her in. She did her own shopping. See, oh, now, if she can do that, why can't she serve God? And would you go every other place? Why can't you? Why can't you serve God? See, that's what the Lord was saying. And and you see, the Lord of this feast, He became very, very angry about it. He said, "Now I've chosen these people," but He said they wouldn't come. Now I want you to go out in the highways and the hedges, and I want you to compel them to come in. Now, these are the days in which the Lord is compelling people. My house must be full. You see, we're living near the end of the rapture. And let me say something to you. There's a lot of you that are here this morning just due to some incidental circumstance. You're a million miles away from wanting to serve God. But I'll tell you one thing. While you don't care whether you serve God or not, His house is going to be full. And did you know what? He's out there now compelling. Praise God. Now, you know how you compel somebody? Serve the Lord. And would you find this guy and you just... Uh, this, this is a good... Stand up. You're a good brother. And, and you get him around the neck and you say, Now you're going to go to church with me, boy. Amen. <laughs> In other words, compelling means that you use force. Now, I'm not saying physical force. You know, I think that God's people should make the message so exciting and the way of the Lord so, so inviting that it is a drawing force to others. We want it. We've got to have it. I see how the Lord's blessing this man. Praise God. And that's a compelling force. Praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. But his house must be full. That's what he's saying. His house must be full. But you see, the context of this supper and the context of, uh, of what Jesus was saying when he talked about going to heaven, that there is a certain way that things ought to be done. And because that I prepared the supper and because it's my house, I must do the inviting. I don't care how much you want to come. You wait for your invitation. That's only appropriate. That's only appropriate. That's only appropriate. Because we have, con- we have a conscience, and if our conscience is not seared within us, as Paul spoke to Timothy concerning in 1 Timothy 4, verse 2, of people having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Now, if our conscience are not seared... There will be an element of godliness about us. You know, we tell little children, let your conscience be their guide, your guide. Let your conscience be your guide. Haven't you told children that? You know, and that's such a beautiful thing. But, but the problem with telling adults that is that when you get my age and you've been living in sin for a number of years and you've been ignoring what's right, your conscience can be seared. So if you follow your conscience, you might not follow much. Because there are certain people... That it doesn't make any difference what they do. They nothing hurts them inside. You know how that works. Let me just let me give you a hint. If you want to go to hell, how to do it? Okay. If you want to go to hell, here's how you do it. And if you want to go without much misery while you live here on the earth, okay. Here's how you do it. Just let the Lord talk to you about something you're doing wrong, and and make sure now that you violate that the next day. 
regardless of what he talked to you about, make sure that you violate it. Now, when he first talks to you about something you do wrong, it's gonna, it'll be like you, you have something uh, inside of your bosom that's eating. It. And, and did you know that, that, that actually people can get sick? They can get physically sick when they do something. You live with guilt. You know, you get a guilty conscience. You get physically sick. You actually can. You, you just get down in the bed where you just don't even, oh, you, you know, okay. Make sure, though, that when, when all of that's eating inside of you and it's bothering you, uh, before that it kind of subsides, go do it again. Now, make sure that you do it again. I'm telling you how to go to hell without misery, okay? Because it's miserable when, when you're doing things that's wrong, you know it, and, and you're praying about it and you're asking God for strength. It's miserable. But well, we're talking about how to go to hell without misery, okay? Just do it again, okay? And, and, and then uh, make sure that when, when your conscience gets you, that you do it again. And you do it again. You know what happens? Each time you transgress, the voice gets dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. See, the conscience is the preacher of the soul. It's like a policeman, see? You run a stop sign... Would you run a stop sign if a policeman standing right by the, by the corner? You know, what's he going to do? I mean, he, 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 he's got a whistle in his hand. Now, I will assure you that if a policeman's down here by the corner, and you want to run that stop sign and get by with it, okay, what you do is you don't wash your car for about four or five weeks, so it's real dirty and you can't really see the color, and you smear mud across your license plate okay and then when you approach a stop sign just go right on through it scream your tires first thing he's going to do is going to pull out the whistle he's going to blow it but now he can't stop your car by blowing that and you know very well on a simple violation not running a stop sign he's not going to pull out a gun and shoot you he's not going to do that you know he's not going to do that so he blows a whistle while you're turning the next corner down. What's he going to do? I mean, he's on foot. He can't jump in a car and chase you. Follow what I'm saying? And you see, that's what happens when you do something wrong. You know, God doesn't just strike you down dead. He doesn't pull out his gun and say, there he goes. Boom, I got him. Another one goes to hell. <clears throat> Isn't that great? It's not the nature of God. That's why the policeman doesn't want to shoot you. He's not interested in doing you harm. He feels that the law is set there for your benefit, not his. Well, my, he gets no glory out of shooting somebody. Don't you think the law of God was for our benefit? Doesn't the Bible tells us, tell us that, that the laws of God are not grievous? Does it not say that? In other words... These are designed for us, not for God. And so while your conscience screams when you do something wrong, don't worry about it. We're talking about how to go to hell without misery. Just don't worry about it. But make sure now that you run the next stop sign around the corner. And when that policeman down there blows the whistle, you just go right on your merry way. He's not going to shoot you. And you keep doing it and you keep doing it. You know what? The first time you heard that whistle blow, it startled you, it shocked you, and your heart pounded a million miles a minute. But you know what? After a while, it becomes a common thing. It's not even alarming. And you kind of get in this shockless syndrome where nothing startles you. And after a while, you know what happens? Why, you could come into this church and I don't care how many people are being baptized. I don't care how many people have been saved. I don't care how loud the preacher preaches, how soft he preaches. I don't care how much conviction. You got it made now, but you know the reason why? Because your conscience is seared, see, with a hot iron. It's like some of the treatment they give cancer patients cobalt treatments my dad recently had cobalt treatments he said son they told me we're not for sure that this cures you 
But this we are sure of, that we can scorch the tissue. We can burn the tissue to the point that there's no pain. So whatever days you have left, there will be no pain. Doesn't mean that cancer is cured. We want you to know that, Mr. Grant. It just might be that it's still working. But it's better than getting hooked on some kind of a, a drug and your pain is so great. So we give you these cobalt treatments. In many cases, patients have been helped and cured somewhat, but in a lot of cases, all we're doing is just we're just frying the tissue. That's what you're doing, see, when when you do that, you just sear your conscience. God keeps drawing you, God keeps convicting you. And you know, another thing that I like to point out, while it is a prerogative of he who sets the table to do the inviting. You know, there are certain things that you're invited to that, that you just feel obligated to attend, don't you? Now, if a person, let's say, okay, and you knew it was in honor of you, do you think it's appropriate for you to reject the invitation? Is that appropriate? That's not appropriate. Let's say that, that, that Brother Rich, Brother, Brother Thomas, let's, let's say that this man has done so much for me, and I can, I can say this, Brother, Brother Nelson, Brother Thomas worked on my garage and, and, and everything. When we got back from, from Salt Lake City, I think it was Salt Lake City, they had that garage all painted. Brother, uh, when I drove up, Brother Thomas was in, in there, and he was, he was painting and, and fixing that garage up. Now, regardless of what you say, I feel obligated to an individual who does that. And if any of you don't feel obligated to somebody who does nice things for you, there's something wrong with you. And let's say all of a sudden then, after doing all these nice things, they're going to give me a birthday party. And I call him up and say, look, I hope you have a good time tonight. I cannot come. I'm just, I'm tired and I've got other things to do and you know how life is. You, wait, you know, it's not appropriate. Now it's not right for me to go and say, give me a birthday party. And yet it's not right for me to reject it. See, and that's what the Scripture's doing. That's how God's approaching the issue. You didn't invite yourself. That's what he's saying. I sent the letter to you. In other words, I sent out my spirit. I asked for a response. The whole thing is done in honor of you. And it's not right for you to say no. See, regardless of what we, we might say that, you know, there, there, God has a particular etiquette that He deals with. He is a God of gentleness and kindness. He is a real gentleman. After all, you know, He, he teaches us to be gentlemen. Teaches the women to be kind and so forth and so on. And He's not telling us to do anything He doesn't do. You know, even Paul even says the Gentiles by nature did the things contained in the law. That 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 certain things are appropriate, and the Gentiles just did it, even though they didn't have the Mosaic law. Where did they get that? Their conscience. That's where they got it. That's where they got it. Now, <clears throat> I do think the Lord is pretty selective. Uh, let's say uh, all of a sudden a young man reaches an age in which he he feels that. <clears throat> Maybe he should get married. You know, uh, what I say God invites many people, and he does. Uh, we sing the song, Just As I Am, when we're talking about people who come to the Lord. But you know, before, even though you're called, before you're chosen, there are certain things that you need to do to qualify for entrance into the family of God. 
For an example, if a man reaches the age of 28, 29, 30, and he uh, feels that he's old enough to get married, he's qualified to take care of a household, well, he, he, he begins to, to pray about it. He begins to search for somebody to marry. But now keep in mind, you know, if a guy's wanting to get married, he just doesn't go out on the streets and just put up a sign and say, Eligible Bachelor. And he walks up and says, Hey, would you marry me? Uh, what about you, man? Would you marry me? Now, that's not the way it works, is it? Would you marry me? And you see, the biggest question in a lot of Christians' mind, why did the Lord call me? Why am I where I am? Well, only God can answer that. You know, every now and then I'll hear some man say this about somebody else's wife. I don't know what in the world he sees in her. Well, obviously not. But you see, that man saw something you didn't see. You see, when he was looking for a wife, he was looking for something different than what you look for. He understands that, that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. See? And what may appear to be beautiful, I'm not talking about physical beauty, to, to you, it's not what he was looking for. Not at all what he was looking for. Not at all. Praise God. Now, Sister Grant's way in the back. I want her to come up here. Come up here. <clears throat> now this is a this woman is the prettiest woman in the world. This is my wife. We've been married twenty five years. As she comes back with this stand up stand up here. Not, the, not here, but there. Okay. She comes back from the West Indies. She's got a West Indian tan. Sit down here. I, I, you know what? I remember when I asked her to marry me. Now, I have told certain things about it, and she goes and spoils it by telling other things. I don't want you to go telling anything about this. After. Okay. <laughs> But I remember when I drove her to this real romantic spot at a 53 Ford six-cylinder. It was a, it was a light blue. Oh, it's a beautiful car. And I had bought her a ring. And I prayed. Now, I was not a praying man, but I prayed about this. I said, now, Lord, if I give her this ring, if I ask her to marry me. Now, nowadays, you know, the girl... And the boy both go and pick it out. And they pick out what the girl wants. Now, irregardless of what you say, that may be a custom nowadays. But it, it doesn't seem right to me. I think that there's a certain integrity and pride in a woman wearing a ring. And she says, this is what he chose for me. Because... It displays the wishes of his heart for me. Now, I can just tell you, if I was a young lady, I would much rather wear a ring of inferior quality and something that I personally did not like. I'd much rather do it with this in mind, that's what he wants for me, than I would to wear one and say, that's what I want. I just throw that in. <clears throat> so she never saw the ring. And I had it. And I was going to ask her to marry me. And I still remember when I asked her. Now she may have been waiting on me to ask her. I think she was. <clears throat> I think she I think she even hinted. Isn't that something? My first hint was she was in high school the time we got married and she didn't start back to school in the fall. I think the reason I had been talking to her about getting married, you know, just marriage in general. 
And I think that somehow in her mind that meant, oh, me? See? But as eager as I know she was to marry me, she didn't ask me. Why did she not ask me? Why? Anybody have any idea? Every now and then you'll read in the paper, everybody's answering, you know why she didn't. Every now and then you read in the paper an Ann Landers thing where this girl says, I have been dating this man for 12 years and I prayed every night for 12 years he would ask me to marry him. You know, the story goes like this, Dear Ann, what am I going to do? Well, Ann could say, by the way, we don't put a lot of stock in what she says, you know. We, but, but she could say, don't be bashful, ask him. Well, she startles me with a lot of her advice, and I've read letters like that. I never heard her say that before. I have heard her say he probably never will. So maybe you should just kind of cool the relationship. But I never heard her say, ask him. Now, we may have some women here who ask their husbands, please, if you ask your husband, and you husbands are here, don't discuss that matter. Okay? Just let it be. I'm not trying to, to dig up old dead bones. Okay? Let it be. But I ask her to marry me. Her response back was, yes. I accept. I will marry you. And you see, that's what the Lord was saying when He says, Now I've chosen you. In other words, what He's really saying is, I picked you out for myself. So you don't ever question as to why. Just forget about that. Every now and then, my wife will look in the mirror and she's fixing her hair and everything. She'll turn around and say, How come you to marry me? Now, I know what she's thinking when she looks in the mirror. You know, she can't get her hair quite right today. You know. Last week when her hair just flowed and everything was easy, she got to thinking, man, you know, he made a good pick. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes you, you have a rough night, you just sleep, your head's all crooked and everything, and you... You wake up with a headache and you look and you say, man, I thought my hairdo would last for a week. Look at it now. And you try to recomb it and it's all out of shape and it gets bent and it won't come back. And, you know, you bend the hair, you know, all night long like this and it stays like that. And you can't hardly get it out. And, and now she looks and, and you see all of us have those complexes about ourselves every now and then. We say, why did you choose me, Lord? You know, you just made some kind of mistake and, and, and you just seem to blow the whole thing. You know, just, God, I thought last week I was doing so good. I thought I was a compliment to you now. But, but Lord, but you see, you've got to keep this one thing in mind. That regardless of where you are spiritually, that it was the wisdom of God that sought you out. God complimented you by doing the choosing. You may be seated. <laughs> you see, that's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. And how would a, a groom feel if all of a sudden he's, a, he's out on the platform and, and so forth. And, 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 and then the, the wedding march and all the attendants come in and everything is set. And all of a sudden the door in the back opens. The father comes in and says, I'm, I'm sorry, folks. Darlene didn't come today. And the reason why she didn't come is because, well, she had other things to do. She just couldn't make it. That's what the Lord's saying. Hey, you know, that's a real slap in the face of your God to be invited into such of a prestigious position as being the bride of Christ. And I've got this big mansion. The thing that you value most on the earth, the most precious metal, is gold. 
and I paved the sidewalks and made the streets out of it. That's what I thought of you. And you didn't even show up on the wedding day. And this is the reason why that that sometimes the wrath of God is kindled against the unbeliever. He loved you enough to invite you. And you cared not to accept. Praise God. I'd like for you to stand with me, if you will, at this time. <clears throat> While you have nothing to do with being invited, I will say this. With an eager, eager mind, you should sit. And when you are invited, you should respond by saying, Yes, Lord. Sister Sue, do you know the chorus? I will say yes, yes, yes. Give me a stride in G. That's a little bit too high. Yeah. I will say yes. I'm in the wrong key. I will say yes. Yes, yes. I will say yes, yes, yes. I will say yes, Lord. I will say yes, I will say yes, yes, yes. Now, Sister Sue, if you could continue to sing that, if that key is appropriate for you. Let me just talk to you as she sings this. Do you know that God is sending out the invitation? Do you know that he's inviting you to the most important thing that you'll ever be invited to? Would you turn him away? Singing, I see. You don't know him. All right. My raspy voice and all. I will say yes, yes, yes. I will say yes, yes, yes. I will say yes, Lord. I will say yes, Lord. I will say yes, yes, yes. I will say yes, yes, yes. I will say yes, yes, yes. I will say yes, Lord. I will say yes, Lord. I will say yes, yes, yes. Now on both sides of the pulpit there is a place for you to come and give your heart to the Lord. Who would be the first one to step out this morning and come and kneel? This is a place where you can come and confess your sins to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a place where you can start a dynamic relationship with a master that will love you and take care of you. He will go with you all the way, even to the end of the world. Just like the marriage vows read, for better or for worse. It doesn't make any difference whether you're in prosperity or poverty. He will be with you. He will never leave you. He'll always take care of you. He loves you. Did you know... He's calling you. I know him enough and know his nature that he's calling you. Would you be one of those chosen few who would respond by saying, yes? Praise God. Why don't you step out right now? We're going to sing it once again. Step out and come and give your heart to the Lord. Would you do that? Come on right now. I will say yes, 
Yes, yes. I will say yes, yes, yes. I will say yes, Lord. I will say yes, Lord. I will say yes, yes, yes. Some are coming. Why don't others come? Let's sing it once again. I will say yes, yes, yes. I will say yes, yes, yes. I will say yes, Lord. I will say yes, Lord. I will say yes, yes. Some are praying here. If others would like to come, we'd like for you to come at this time. If you do not choose to come, we do ask you to kneel at your pew and pray. After you have prayed this morning, you may consider yourself dismissed. Remember our service tonight at 7 o'clock. If you are a guest of ours, thank you so much for coming. It's been our delight to minister to you today. We trust that we have said something that will be a blessing a long life's way. Remember our service Thursday night also at 7.30. All of our services are open to the public and we invite you to come. God bless you. I will say yes, yes, yes. I will say yes, yes, yes. I will say yes, Lord. I will say yes. Thank you, dear God.